Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, starring Melanie Kinneman, John Shepard, Shavar Ross, and Marco St. John. Story by Martin Kittresser and David Cohen. Screenplay by Martin Kittresser, David Cohen, and Danny Steinman. And directed by Danny Steinman. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time. Exactly. <laughs> Don't look too hard for those names. Exactly, yeah. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. Hey, it's year five. It's October. It's almost Halloween. And it's time to dive right into the Slasher Fives. Mm-hmm. Uh, never thought we'd make it this far, but here we are. And as we've done the last three years, we always start with Friday the 13th first and then work our way up through the franchise, through Franchise Town. I mean, it's just a crazy, wild journey. It's a roller coaster ride. You never know what you're, what's going to be on there you never know where the the peaks and valleys are going to be there might be some vomit along the way yeah. uh, there might be just uh some just gratuitous nudity and gore uh but we're starting with friday five and uh on saturday the 14th <laughs> the 14th. i think there's a movie called there saturday is. The Have 14th. You ever, oh it's so much fun yeah oh yeah yeah i don't think i don't think i've, I've definitely seen the poster and, and heard of it but yeah part five here we go after they decreed the last entry the final chapter but you're not the final chapter when you make bank, right? I think part four was the highest earning one thus far, and Paramount can't let this thing die, especially when it costs like $2 million to make an entry. It's just like, yeah, I mean, go go figure out another way to do it, and we get this film that we're going to talk about today. Man, I can't wait to get into the weeds uh, with it uh, with you. This is one uh, just a favorite of mine to watch just because of how absurd it is, yeah. just at, at, at various different junctures throughout and we could talk about some of the stuff that works and some of the stuff that definitely doesn't work. But, mm-hmm. hey, good thing we got some good beverage with us today. This is the Eagle Rare uh, Age 10-year. Um, you brought this a couple, couple weeks back. It's been pretty good so far. I get vanilla and smoke. I'm not sure what's in the middle, but I get a very, very nice, smooth vanilla at the beginning. You getting smoke in there? Like some <sighs> little woodsy? Let me go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get, I get that smoke as well. You know, yeah. I always kind of find you know the the aged up ones. You always might tend to think those ones will be a little harsher because they've been sitting around in a barrel for ten years. But sometimes they're a lot a lot smoothed out, right? Uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe they're losing some of their potency, or if they're just getting more fermented and more refined. Uh, but. That's a good bottle. Uh, I agree. I, I, I'm trying to go back in the memory ranks. Uh, how many bottles have we had on this show? Lots. 200 plus. Yeah, probably close. Uh, I don't know if we've had, maybe we've had Eagle Rare before, but we definitely haven't had this one. So yeah, yeah this one will be good to us for the next couple weeks. And then, you know, maybe around Halloween, we'll be opening up uh, another one and I'll take care of that one, this one, because this was, this was your, this was your bet lost bottle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But hey, we got a ton to talk about today. Like we said in preface, no flight and nightcap this week. We're just getting to the nitty gritty uh, in Slasher Town. So let's get to our review breakdown of Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. Yeah. 
Alrighty. Matt, did you recognize anything different about the way this film started as opposed to the last three sequels that we <laughs> saw? Oh, yeah. No? Yeah. You're leading to something. I'm- well, that's the answer I was looking for because who could remember, right? Yeah. No, that's right. <laughs> but uh, no flashbacks this time oh, out. Yeah. Uh, right. The last three entries, you know, we've had essentially a 10-minute recap of the prior mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> to preface what you're going to watch. So... Hey, new beginning. Let's start with the new beginning. And we're kind of with the familiar character here. Enter Corey Feldman as Tommy Jarvis. Uh, Last time we saw this character, he was slaying the beast, right? Uh, Putting Jason uh, in the grave. And yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting opening. And I do really appreciate, you know, we're not just regurgitating the events of the last four films. We are trying to start on a new foot, whatever that means here. But... It's kind of nice to see Corey Feldman back here. He was uh, tied up uh, in the Goonies at the time, so he probably, you know, didn't get to participate fully as much as they wanted him to or he wanted to. Uh, So I think the great piece of trivia for this little opening thing, they filmed this in his backyard (laughs) like a Sunday night. Really? (laughs) Yeah, because the scheduling, they just... They didn't have a lot of wiggle room, so they're like, we'll come to you, we'll do two hours, and we'll get what we need, right? Kind of plays, though, mm-hmm. because it's a very shallow grave, and it looks like it's in his backyard. Mm-hmm. Like the little boy who walks out of the uh, kitchen into the swing set, <laughs> the trampoline, yeah. and there's this makeshift wooden, barely more than chalk-scribed headstone yeah. in a very, very shallow grave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's in between... Uh, Final chapter. Yeah. And then Gremlins, and then this, and then the Goonies, and then Stand By Me. Oh, what a run. I, I just, uh, I watched The Lost Boys uh, this week. What a, what a great film. Uh, and then he's going to that, then he's going to The Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you... you and then he's going to License to Drive. He's in a pretty yeah, good little just, run here. You just rattled them all off there. Like mm-hmm. that, those five, six films, like that's pretty good. That's pretty solid. And probably finishing in 89 with Dream a Little Dream. That's about where I think the gig was up for him. But yeah. it's a five, six run... That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, if it if it peaks at Lost Boys, mm-hmm. stand by me. He's really good in that movie too. Yep. He's a good counterpart in the Goonies and Final Chapter. Not a bad little run here. Uh, so it's nice to see him here. Where it's like, oh, where are they going to pick up the pieces with the Tommy Jarvis character? And then these two grave robbers out of nowhere. Just everyone always wants to see what this corpse looks like, right? Is this a dare? To, like, if, do people like? I don't even know what they do with like real serial killers other than like, you know, study them at a university, their brains and whatnot, or give them unmarked graves or cremate them and throw them in the trash. Right. Mm-hmm. As they probably deserve. Uh, is this some sort of weird ritual? And it's not going to be the last time we're going to see this in this franchise. People want, I got to go see what's under that grave, but it's Jason, right? It's Jason, red mask, Jason, night crawlers coming out of the, out of the eye holes. I think this is a pretty effective little opening. It's got all the boo fair, the rain machine, and Tommy Jarvis looks scared as can be. I mean, he, he's like paralyzed with fear. Yeah. So there's no flashback, right? Mm-hmm. Or no backtelling or catch up, but this serves the same purpose. Yeah. At this point in our film, their titular villain is dead and buried. Mm-hmm. You know right away that this is our protagonist, and then all of a sudden we get the resurrection. Yeah. It's a dream, but it does set the stage for what's coming, and... I think that's important. You know, the legacy of the films five in, Mm -hmm. you can't ignore the previous four because the previous four or some acknowledgement of the previous four, I think are necessary to understand the power of Jason. Mm -hmm. You can come in at five. I think 
probably get it. It's not some complex plot. I know. Who's coming in at five? I mean, I don't think, I'm sure there were some. This is a wild entry point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you were to come in at that point, you'd probably get it. And maybe the Thomas, Tommy Jarvis character is shown enough in five that you might be able to recollect the role he played in four. But the problem and the, the success of this film is how little you have to put into the talent in the man behind the mask. Yeah. So stunt man. Yeah. Essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. A stunt man. All of your talent per acting has gone into Feldman's five and a half minutes here. Cause I'm sure that's the only guy they paid more than sure. You know, minimum. Yeah. And I think it serves enough to set the stage going forward, but you're in a really tricky space because as he's so nondescript other than just this hulking, brooding, hockey-wearing-clad guy for the last two and a half films, mm -hmm. it's also really nondescript. Yeah. So anybody can be it, and you have to keep finding a way to bring it back. Bring it, This is so obvious that we're talking about. I can't believe I'm going on a tangent on this. It's obvious that they, they can't kill this character off because then there's no more movie. Yeah. But at some point... Yeah he can only sustain so much damage that it just becomes eye roll worthy. And you're like, are you fucking kidding me? The guy's like, we mm -hmm. have to find a new way in. Yeah. So then what do you do? Yeah. I have two questions for you. Just here right off the bat. You mentioned something and I, I know we've talked about this off mic and on mic before about, you know, at least acknowledging the past, acknowledging prior entries. Uh, do you like that, you know, in these, you know, we're getting long in the tooth with the sequels now. Do you like that we're still making callbacks to some of the stuff that came before? Or are you one of those people uh, that like the new David Gordon Green Halloweens or just clean slating like two through nine never happened, right? Well, where do you fall on that? Like, is there a preference there? And I, I can give you my, my take as well. With one of the characters, I think the backstory is more important than the others, mm -hmm. and it's Freddy. Mm -hmm. I think the Freddy backstory is more important than the Jason or Michael Fritt backstory. Yeah. Of the three, I think Jason's is the least important. Yeah. We have to remember where the basis of Friday the 13th started, and it wasn't even Jason. Yeah. So this is his mom, right? <laughs> right. We're a full standard deviation line, um, <laughs> linearly away from our original killer. Mm -hmm. So... No on Jason, mm -hmm. mm, cool yes on Michael, and hard yes on Freddy. Okay, you said you wanted to go. Yeah, no, I, 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 I can see both, both takes because you know eventually with your mythology and your continuity, you end up getting so messy mm -hmm. as you keep going along uh, that you almost kind of need a clean slate. Yeah, but I do respect the screenwriters uh, that are thrust into these roles that are like, fuck, I'm doing Friday Five. I'm going to try and tie it in as much as I possibly can and make it make sense. So I do like that they're at least bringing the Jarvis element into this new beginning. Um, that's at least an acknowledgement of that character and what he did and how he's struggling now. Um, I could have also seen the other way where it's just like new beginning, clean slate, new characters, new Jason. Let's just see where this goes. Um, so I don't know if there's like a right or wrong answer. It's just, do you like your stuff messy or do you like it nice and clean cut? And this is a bit of both. <laughs> it is a tough, tough ass. Yeah. Especially if four was as successful as it was. Now you're a writer. You and me would kill for that opportunity. Oh, sure. Yeah. But it becomes hilarious in the Halloween franchise as you know, 
they get into the sixth film and that screenwriter, and we'll get to it eventually, mm-hmm. he does his best to make sense of one through five going up to it. It's like, I'm going to try and make this coherent, make sense, and I'll add my own touch. And it just, it gets messier with that, but at least they tried, right? Try to make sense of illogic. And again, I don't want to turn this into Michael or Freddie show because that's the next two weeks. So let's stick to the Jason show. But there's places in previous stories where if you were astute enough in the writing and you studied the writing enough, there are places that you, I think, could find ground to take this forward. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, the remaining piece is Camp Crystal Lake. But there's so much blood that's been shed there. I don't know if you can keep going back because at some point you wouldn't re-rent the Amityville house the 15th time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So do you raise it to the ground? Do you want to get into the mysticism of the land as it's been transported to this? Now you're getting into some kind of weird like pagan shit. And that's kind of more a space, I think, unfortunately, for Michael a little bit. Yeah. There is one, I think, key component in this film that I think... Most of the writers up to this point, if they wanted to try to create something that was more linear missed, and that's that that shrine that's built in that shed. Oh, in two. In two. Mm-hmm. It looks black magic. Mm-hmm. There's certainly easily some supernatural pieces that you could play in that. I think we're supposed to believe that Jason just built it himself. So, okay, but what if he didn't and what if it's done with the help of, I don't, I don't want to get witchcraft in there or something, but if you're able to expand the possibilities of the supernatural, then Jason becomes something more than just this really titanically strong, mm. hulking thing to something that's embodied or imbued with some otherly world presence. Now you're getting into, though, more ghost versus slasher. So look, it's a really long answer to it's a mm. tough ask, but I think there's some space in there. Yeah. Uh, and I would have loved to take in a crack with it, especially because after four, you, I think we've after four, we said this franchise was in the best shape of all three of them. Yeah. Is that, is it? I think so. Yeah. I think we did say that. I think we we're pretty high on dream master too. Uh, but yeah, the, the, that was a high uh, part four. I think it's still the best entry in the, in the series. So there's some, there's some, Tough shoes that you have, some tough hockey masks that you have to fill. And then they made some interesting choices in that space on this one. (laughs) They hired a director who was best known for exploitation and pornography. Uh, I don't know if you could tell. (laughs) No. Uh, And it it just... Really, this guy, he cut his teeth in porn? Yeah. For real? Yeah, like triple X features, yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> just like that was all Paramount could find. But uh, the other question I wanted to ask you was, if I told you, okay, going into five, and whether you had seen it or not, I couldn't remember if you had said it, and it's probably been a while, right? Um, Tommy Jarvis is coming back. What, what do you think, what are your expectations for this next entry based on how the last one ended? Look, fantastic start. Mm-hmm. We're starting to build something that you can carry through in three films to second and what's going to be a trilogy with Tommy Jarvis. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Is it a mistake to maybe not just wait six months until Corey Feldman Mm. finishes the Goonies and then bring him back a year after? Possibly. I think it might be Mm -hmm. because they do essentially save the day with the new version of a kid in Mm. this film. Yeah. Rascal Eddie or what's his name? (laughs) I forget. (laughs) 
<laughs> Reggie, Evangelical Re- no, Eddie. Reggie the Reckless. Re- reckless. Re- <laughs> yeah. What did you call him? I don't know. Re- Re- <laughs> something Eddie? Yeah. I like it. Uh, um, yeah. So they, they're, they're acknowledging it. They're doing, yeah, a, a similar thing with the, with the younger character. So let me ask you a question, though. Okay. At this point in just the Friday franchise, is Tommy Jarvis the most important character to the story? Yeah. Is he more important than Jason? Uh, I mean, Jason's the cog that makes the whole thing move, right? But best pro tag the series has had. Oh yeah, he's the Loomis of the franchise now. Sure, yeah, like someone that could go toe to toe. And I think what's unique about it is he was a, a young, a young kid, eleven, twelve years old. Mm-hmm. So I like that they want to take those seeds of okay, let's pick up with him five years later. This is circa nineteen eighty nine. That not when the movie was made, but timeline wise, when it's supposed to be taking place. And he's traumatized. He has some, maybe some survivor's guilt associated with that, uh, hacking this killer to death. So what are the ramifications of having gone through all that? Obviously, he ended up, he was in some psych ward. Now he's at a halfway house, Pinehurst. He's not in good shape, but he's still bringing his masks along with him. There's that tinge of creativity. He's looking for a fresh start. I'm willing to see like where this is going to go. If I were to ask that question to myself of where, what seedlings are you going to pick up? Well, you're picking up with Tommy, obviously, with killer tendencies, right? Yeah. That you set him up to be the next Jason. That last shot of part four with bald Corey Feldman hugging his sister, and he looks deadpan at the camera, and he looks evil as shit. Mm-hmm. You kind of think he's going to take the machete and run with it. Uh and then they kind of get back to basics again. And this is something I do appreciate about this movie, even though it has a bajillion and a half red herrings. We're kind of back in whodunit territory right. here, right? Yes. Uh, so that's kind of fun. And, you know, I'll, I'll ask your perspective here in a little bit, but uh, they're trying new things with the seedlings of the past. Let's see where it goes. And then, and 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 this is totally, this is, this is what we get. Oh, my God! That is what we get. And this. We found them in the Hubbard's woods. They were screwing their heads off, Matt. Now, I think we're all pretty lucky this time because Ethel didn't see them. I'll take care of it, sir. I'm going to do the talking. You keep quiet. Morning, Ethel. Hi, don't you look lovely today? Poor shit. Now, Sheriff, you better hear me and hear me good. I want this loony bin closed down. Do you hear me, fella? Now, these kids ain't nothing but trouble. They don't respect others' property, and they're all crazy. You come <laughs> Ethel, these kids weren't doing. Doing? Doing? You think I don't know what those two perverts were doing in my yard? Say it like you mean it, Ma. Would you shut the fuck up? Now, I'm going to tell all of you You mark my words The next little bastard comes near my farm I'm going to blow your fucking brains out You hear me? Uh, Don't you come near me, Sheriff I'm warning you I got a bomb on me I swear to you You make one move toward me I'm going to blow us all up Start the engines, Junior What what do we have here? It's just we've never had anything like this in a Friday film thus far. We've had Steve Christie trying to 
build a camp up from scratch. We've had, you know, uh, a camp to re-educate camp counselors before they open up at uh, Pakanak Lodge. We've had uh, Chris Higgins taking some weird friends uh, to her family cabin. And then we've had the Jarvis house and their rental next door. Mm-hmm. Now we got this halfway house and all these characters are like, it's like we plucked them from like 10 different movies, right? Yeah. Uh, from some like Porky's. We got two people mm-hmm. from a Porky's movie. We got two people from Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, we just, Cruising. We got a uh, knockoff John Cryer from Pretty in Pink. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ducky over here. Yep. <laughs> yeah. From Cruising. Yeah. We even had that, that annoying guy from Texas Chainsaw. Which one? The guy in the wheelchair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Toby? Franklin. No, Franklin. Uh, Joey in this one. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't make sense. Mm-mm. It's completely preposterous, but I kind of like it. It's just, I, I like how ridiculous and amped up everybody is. Ethel, like, oh my God, like, yeah. they gave her an inch. She took a freaking mile, man. Yes. <laughs> we need you to act like a crazy redneck yeah. lady. Go. You got it. She delivered. You big dildo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you big dildo. What do you think here? These are our characters. This is our fodder. This is who we're going to have to play with here. What do you think of this uh, weird ethyl stew that's been cooked up for us? To do this who done it right, you have to create possibilities in the mind of the viewers about who it could be. And one of the things that is fun is to vilify a lot of these people. So, A, you're either, oh, yeah, it was them because they've been an ass the whole time, or you're cheering when they get done in. And that, that pays off in both ways. But I do like, I'm, I'm with you, I do agree that getting back to a new beginning, which would be kind of a new version of the old beginning, whodunit's a really clever way to go. And they do disguise that, come mostly, you can kind of tell really with some of the pans and the way we end on yeah. some scenes who the guy is. But yeah, all of the possible characters that it could be, with, with the reasonable grouping, I mean, you don't ever think like, Reggie's going to be it, not certainly Pam. Yeah. Although Pam could also be it. Mm-hmm. I think each one of them has cause or motivation to get behind the mask. I think the possible ones they have, you know, you got Tommy, obviously. Certainly Tommy. Yeah, he's, I think, the biggest red herring. Uh, owner Matt, the guy from Last Crusade, right? Uh, I think you got this guy at the beginning. I'll play this clip here in a second because this is freaking hilarious. You got Vic, who hacks Joey to death. Mm-hmm disappears from the movie uh you have ethel and possibly junior who could have some sort of vendetta for people screwing out on their farm you have this weird drifter who shows up (laughs) nowhere uh you also have uh this robert de niro looking sheriff who may have a uh uh machete to grind against the mayor who's on his ass for letting this these things happen again these in this small community so yeah, we got. I think we have a decent assortment of players, and as they start to whittle them off, you know, I'm I'm th- kind of thinking of you know some of the whodunits we've done on on the podcast before, and I was like, that element is fun, and it kind of keeps you guessing. Yeah. I know you came for a Friday the Thirteenth Jason film, but there is a little bit of like, if it isn't dead Jason, because I saw him hacked up last time, it's got to be somebody else, and especially as we he's introduced in the later half of the movie. When he's dealt blows, I mean, he's, like, physically taking on the damage, right? Yeah. He, it's slowing him down. He looks like he's in bad shape, and that's different than the last couple times out where he's just taking he's taking hits left and right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'll play the clip of some of those characters you uh, just uh, were mentioning. Hi, Vic. Get lost. Come on, don't be like that. 
happy to help you with the wood today. And anyway, uh, I got two chocolate bars, see? Don't tell the girls. You know, Vic, before I came here, I, I never had anything to do, me being an orphan and all. People always uh, tease me about sitting around like some kind of pig or something. But here it's different. I can, I can help others and do a lot of things. You know something? I really love it here. I hate it. You know, um, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, I never really chopped wood before, but it certainly looks like fun. Leave me alone! Here, Vic, want a bite? Here. I'll just put it over here. And later on, when you're hungry, you can have it. Well, if that's the way you feel, forget it, Vic. Just forget it. But I think you're really out of line. Yeah, bye. Got an oh my god uh, response from you of like, did that just happen? Yeah, did that really just happen? It's so random. It was just like, here's a guy just cutting wood, and he already looks kind of unhinged, right? <laughs> and he looks a little old to be staying at a halfway house too, but mm. I, I don't know what the rules are for staying at this place. You, if he has some sort of misdemeanors or whatnot, but he can stay here as long as he helps out around the around the state. Mm-hmm. And then this John Candy looking guy comes over here, start, and he's got, he's got like a bandolier of candy bars here, yep. and he tries to offer him one. And you know, no one wants anything to do with Joey. He seems to be the Pinehurst nuisance. And dude, he pissed off Vic on the wrong day, right? Boy, didn't he? Dude, he chops him up into like five pieces. Hack away. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. The paramedics come. They lift the sheet. I'll never forget this. Either the, the one paramedic is like, it blows a bubble. Bunch of pussies. You ain't never seen a severed corpse before. Right. Nope. Haven't. <laughs> and then the other one, right? Roy. This big, tall one. And, you know, once you've seen it, you know, you can kind of figure it out. But even if you haven't seen it, you know, they do linger on this guy a little bit too long. And even the music kind of cues in a little bit of like, oh, mm. that was a little suspicious, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think of that? Is this our inciting incident, right? I think it is. Yeah. Rather late in the story. Mm-hmm. Vic turns Joey into mincemeat. It's not just one hack that severs the spine. It's take it out, throw it in again. I mean, you, when they pull back the sheet and you see his back. Yeah. And there's probably eight to ten blows there. Yeah. Vic let go. Yeah, the leg's gone. And he hacked the <laughs> shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're set up to think, well, this is the story of unhinged Vic and his escape from the middle institution. Nope. You said he's gone from the rest of the movie. I mean, it could be. Well, it's a possibility. It's a po- another red herring, yeah. I think all of these these setups and possibilities play it nicely. So we have Ethel and her crazy inbred son, which is feeling very Texas chainsaw You've got Vic, the crazy 15-year resident of the Looney Bin that's able to wield an axe, but, you know, whatever, it's mm. in the woods, so I guess it's okay. Mm-hmm. And then the general collection of townies, for lack of a better term, that are either fodder or participants. And then the one that gets the least amount of lines in the entire film is Tommy. And I think the reason that that plays so well is Jason doesn't speak much either. Mm -hmm. So this 
collection, these, this possibility, this cast of characters that presents uh, many options for the viewer to ponder, like mm -hmm. you said, is just fun. Yeah. I would say at this point, so this is what, the 13th film? Yeah, 13th, ver 13th <laughs> film that we've seen in this series. <laughs> this is the least scary of all of them. Sure, yeah. I think we're punting now on yikes. Mm -hmm. And I certainly know with, with Nightmare 5, yeah. we're not worrying so much about scaring people anymore. It's highlighting mm -hmm. the action sequences in the kill and coming up with creative kills. Mm -hmm. And then not so much the yikes boo. I mean, there's a couple jump scares here, whether it's the cat falling off the rafters or yeah. you know that kind of stuff. I don't. I don't think we're worried about that anymore. Yeah, I don't think we're worried about getting getting jumped. I think we're here for shocks. I think we want to see some interesting death scenes, and we'll talk about those in a little bit because they're significantly trimmed down compared to some of the other films. Are you good with that? Are you glad? Or are you happy? Or okay with the the horror piece sort of taking fourth <sighs> or fifth or sixth seat? I guess so. I mean, I kind of know what I'm five films in. I kind of know what I'm geared up for. Right? It's yeah. it's been. I don't know how they're gonna boo me anymore. So. I guess I'm here for the ridiculousness of it all. And then for this one in particular, the amped up TNA factor in this film. Oh, is, man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, we'll get to it in a second because, yeah, it's it's very pronounced. I mean, I, I mentioned the director already, but like it's like super obvious. And then you get to the next one and the next one has no nudity in it at all. Really? So, yeah. It's like they like tried this weird experiment and it didn't quite work for them. So like, let's go to this one. And th they went back to kind of the, the basics again. Um, but we get one of my favorite uh, tropes uh, in a horror film, which is, Hey, we don't own the rights to a song. So as you come back into the scene, I need you to make up a little tune. And you get this little number here. <laughs> All right, Evie, you got the car started, or you're a dead man. This ain't starting, man. You fucked up again, it ain't starting. I'm gonna kick your ass, kick your ass. Come on now, come on, everybody, this ain't starting. Come on, motherfucker, fix the fucking car. Come on. Fucked up again, you asshole. What you doing up there, Vinny? Rudy, 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 Rudy. Rat, tat, 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 two ears. Woo! All right, and we're off. Let's go! A rat, a tat, a tat, a tat, a two A rat, a tat, 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 two Come on, motherfucking Saint Starting. <laughs> cringeworthy huh <laughs> it's cringy but i love it it's just in in ha the original halloween Lori was always or it was annie remember it yeah. was oh paul <laughs> i just loved i love this horror horror trope sleepaway camp has about five in there mm -hmm. of we don't have money for music because we're going to spend it for uh violet's uh robot dance later mm. uh <laughs> so you need to make up a little ditty and we're gonna we're gonna get another one here in a little bit <laughs> we are uh I just, I, it, that's just the charm of this genre. Mm -hmm. It's so cheap. We have to be creative, but we don't have a script or the capacity to write that on paper. So they just, you figure it out. And when we hit roll, that's what will be in the movie. Oh man, talk about pressure. <laughs> Not only does it happen there, but we made fun of it also when we're playing pre-coital chase scene in the woods. Mm. Watch out for the dirt. Yeah. So like the director just said, 
go have some shenanigans before you get to the clearing where you can put the bed sheet down and bang each other out, yeah. screw each other's heads off. Frolic around for a little bit. Just play chase and play with the dirt and for all of the cringe worthiness of those moments, mm-hmm. to them, they're all in. Yeah. I'll give that guy credit. Yeah. That's not in the script. He said, yeah. you got 45 seconds you need to fill. Go. Fill it. <laughs> Go? Yeah. Okay. A rat tat tat tattoo. <laughs> Imagine a director who <laughs> majored in exploitative mm. uh, pornography giving his actors the mm-hmm. freedom to just be creative on yeah. celluloid. It's kind of what happens, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. These two are, yeah, you, you brought up... It, it, the kind of gay undertones with these characters. Are they a couple? Are they not? They stepped off of the set of cruising with William Friedkin. Like, yeah. I don't know what's going on here. But then another weird thing that always happens in horror films. This guy's like, I got to go take a dump in the woods. <laughs> no, he's not taking any toilet paper with him. Are we just cl- clean dropping and zipping up again? Dude, you're bringing that smell into the car with you. Like, I was taking advice my dad gave me. Just find a nearby pine cone. Okay. <laughs> what? Dad. Yeah. That wreck, was my no. wreck, wreck my ass. Yeah, really, shred it. Do you notice that in movies yes. where people just go drop a deuce and they're just like zip up? And I'm like, wait a minute, Whew. skid marks. Yeah, you're bringing all of that back with you. All of it. <laughs> you're bringing all of that back with you. Not for much longer, though. Exactly. Yeah. So we get a flare to the mouth, and then we get a, a slit throat. And at this point in the movie, we got to be like, what did these guys have to do with the plot, and why did they get killed? Maybe this is, as we're about to find out, is this a test run, Matt? It was like, okay, I'm going to start killing. I need to go test it on the people not responsible, so I need to see if I'm good at this. I think he's pretty good at it. Something that I want to watch in this next round is the kills, the people that get killed. Okay. How often are we pulling for the killer to do them in? Because a significant number of the people to get waxed in this movie, I was glad they were off the screen. Mm. These two are a fine example. Yeah, They're hateable from the minute you meet them till the minute they leave. It's almost a relief that they're gone. We, I think a little bit in Texas Chainsaw, not that's part of this trio that we're doing, mm-hmm. that happened with Franklin. Yeah, And there's been a few bad apples here and there, but this movie really, whether it's the redneck mother and son, whether it's these two guys, whether it's most of the people that are the inhabitants of the loony bin that have just chosen to shack up at a loony bin for the weekend, I guess, yeah. whatever that, that, that are not even of some mental duress mm-hmm. or under mental duress. I'm going to be really curious to see if that plays yeah. in the next two fives. Yeah. Are you, you're looking for some sympathy of, uh, some of our victims, right? It's a, yeah, or or not? Because if you if you're not sympathetic to the victims, then you are on board mm-hmm. with the star of the film. Yeah, and that's what this movie showcased. And there's a couple of really creative kills in this film that mm-hmm. I thought, man, that's that's a really interesting way to do that. And if you're able to take what is traditionally in these movies a as antagonistic as you get, and find people that they kill that you like less than this singular objective killer, Michael Jason slash Freddie, Michael specific or Jason specifically today. Mm -hmm. And you're sidling up to the star of the film. And that works for budget reasons. That works for continuations, merchandising, merchandising. And as much as we may bang on rat a tat a tat tattooey, I'm not banging on it. I love it. (laughs) You're sitting here in front of me, Don and Friday. And I have, my house is filled with Friday the 13th shit. Yeah. 
from coffee mugs to a couple of t-shirts. I don't have any like little plushies or anything, yeah. but it's, it's, it's working. Sure. Yeah. Something's working. Yeah. The characters might not be working. It might be a hodgepodge and kind of a clusterfuck. Maybe not yet though. Tell me when Ethel and her son showed up, you weren't like, oh, I can't wait till they fucking get rid of these two. Yeah. And it's just like, there's, I, I got a couple more lines from them because I just can't believe they're in the movie. But uh, we have two more kills here. We have uh, the orderly uh, mental hospital driver going to pick up a diner waitress. Lana. Yeah. She shows her boobs to the mirror, says it's showtime. He's doing a line out in the car. And these both bite the bullet. And uh, as an audience, they're like, okay, more body count. What did they have to do with the plot of the movie? They kind of don't, <laughs> really. Even like the genesis of our inciting incident that we'll get to a little bit later. Yep. But again, this might just be another test run. This might just be like, hey, let me like stretch my legs. Let Shipping me bring my skills. <laughs> yeah. And by the dude, the our killer's about to rack up like a 20 person body count. I think it's one of the higher body counts of this entire franchise. Mm. Uh, but then we get this really interesting breakfast sequence. You don't set a place for a dead person. I said I was sorry. What's going on here? Look, I know how you all feel. This thing is not easy. For any of us. So let's just have breakfast. I'm sorry, Vi. I was out of line. Where's Eddie? He's upstairs. Tommy, would you mind telling Eddie to come downstairs? you mind? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Relax, Chief. What's wrong? No sense of humor? Can't you take a joke? Dude, Tommy gives this guy the full John Cena. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel bad for Tommy because he's trying to fit into this weird effed up family, trying to find a place here, come down for homely breakfast, and all these people are just screwing with him. They're laughing at him. This guy's trying on his mask that we obviously know you don't touch his masks, right? right. And it's it's just more fuel to the Tommy's doing it fire, right? It's just like, well, now I got to make this guy pay. But I'm going to flip him over my shoulder and beat him down a couple times. <laughs> what a move, dude. Like, and he's, he's, he's pretty svelte too, right? Yeah. yeah. Tommy, dude, 1980s svelte was a little bit different than like anything going on today, right? The casting of that Tommy's weird. Yeah. They found someone who's really good at fighting, mm -hmm. had to have been taken out of the martial arts ranks and maybe some martial arts film did stuff he, that he's done in the past. Did he miss out on a, a spot in Cobra Kai and yeah. he ended up in this movie? Kind of, you don't wonder. <laughs> Did he, was he, you know, an acolyte that Chuck Norris fought in one of those Chuck Norris films at the same time? He knows he's doing, you can tell from his body when we see him shirtless later that he's about his craft. And the E is, like you said, full John Cena. 
you don't toss someone like that unless you know how to toss someone like that. So this is a really puzzling cast for me. Mm -hmm. And what's even more puzzling is I don't even think the guy's a terrible actor. No, yeah. He's fairly solid. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened where they chose to get martial arts expert who's very tactile and physical and capable and choreographed with moves that you and I in our wildest dreams could not have done. And they're certainly not going to put that choreography into a Friday the 13th movie because that's not what this is. Unless the director said, I want someone who really knows how to fight. Because the second thing that happens is after he tosses him on that table through the water pitcher and the glass and everything else, he pounces on him full UC, uh, UFC style. Like four or five times. It's grounded pound and it's lights out. Yeah. Herb Dean's in there pulling him off and this fight's over. Yeah. It's a beatdown. It is a beatdown. It's kind of impressive, actually. And he's really comfortable and seems natural in there. Okay, so yeah. let me give you an example. Okay. Keanu Reeves and The Replacements. Mm-hmm. Doesn't look like a football player. Most actors, Kurt Russell's is a bit of an exception. Um, Kevin Costner a little mm-hmm. bit. Most actors, when they try to play athletes, look out of place. Terrible. Mm-hmm. This guy's not at all out of place with that. And we'll never find it because it is so obscure. And of all the things that would be highlighted in the slasher horror genre, the casting of Tommy Jarvis and part know, five <laughs> is really low on the list. <laughs> yeah. But they chose him for a reason. And you know what I like? I like that they chose somebody who, if it came to a fight with Jason, Mm. my money might be on Tommy. Yeah. If he can de-weapon Jason, Mm. disarm him, Tommy's going to beat the shit out of Jason. Yeah. If the last film was all about little Tommy Corey Feldman having the intellectual superiority to figure out how to beat Jason to become him, right? And confuse him and then beat him down... Now you have the physical prowess side of of Tarmi. He's weaponized those skills and can now go toe-to-toe with anybody. I think we're building secretly a pretty good uh, foe for Jason, right? Yes, yes, we are. Yeah. And it's a lot different than Dr. Loomis just running around going, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's some weight to this. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see how this carries to the next one. And I I will tell you that the one in... Uh, part six is a, a bit of a fan favorite, uh, Tommy Jarvis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of like this dark streak running through him. It's just like, are you the killer? Are you not? Man, you can beat some ass. It's just like, this is all very interesting. Um, but then we go back to this. I'm going to chop you into itty bitty little pieces, my friend. Just like they done to that pig over there, that fucking crazy farm. You big dildo, eat your fucking slop. Ain't I make the best goddamn stew in the whole wide world? Best goddamn stew in the whole wide world, man. That's that goddamn coyote. I'm gonna try to kill my lot again. I'm gonna show that bastard once and for all. You hear me, Junior? you what the fuck do you want i might eat in two days if i don't a meal yeah what do you do whatever you need done okay clean all the shit out of the chicken coop and dump it behind the shed 
You come back here when you got all the shit out, and then I'll fill your stomach. Yes, ma'am. One fucking ugly man that goes there. Who is she? I know, right? It's just her and Junior are not in great shape, but just the opinions on this woman. Mm -hmm. They're right out of a Tex Avery cartoon. Like, what are they doing? Yeah. Uh, The Junior's eating the breakfast stew in a freaking cauldron. She's chopping chickens, and I'm just like, dude, I thought this was a Jason movie. Yeah. <laughs> but I like it. I just, I love how batty it is. I just like that, like, we're going there with these people. It's just like, yeah, you are you think you're in familiar territory? Here's this. Mm. Here's the Ethel and Junior stew. <laughs> right. And then we're going to go to this scene where it was frolicking in the woods, and then we're going to have this sex scene between these two people. And what, what was the joke we made? It was like, this might have been quicker than... Um, <laughs> Halloween. Uh, uh, Three pump Pete and Hollow in the first Halloween. Uh, yeah, from uh, Myers uh, from 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 the sister. Yeah, yeah. Three put. Yeah, two pump Pete. It's like a one. It's like a pump out done shirt back on. Bye. This was quicker. And then this weird drifter is like, yeah, yeah. He's like fondling his belly button or something. Watching these two gets killed off screen. Mm-hmm. And I'm just telling you, just the, the lingering we do, it's just the nudity is on full display. I think she was Deborah Sue Voorhees, aptly named, right? Yeah. Uh, I think she was a Playboy Playmate or Bunny or whatever title they give those models, right? Uh, but it's just like, here you go. Here she is on my shirt. Yep. Right here. That's her. Yeah. Not all of her, though. No. <laughs> yeah, they are in yeah. no hurry to showcase anything other than... Um, her in that. And when they're done, the camera just stays right there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there you have it. She takes some garden shears to the eyes. Uh, pretty brutal. That one That one got a bit of a reaction out of you. And then her friend <laughs> might get the best death of the whole movie. He gets this belt tied around his forehead and then tied around a tree trunk. And then Jason... Tightens it up so it essentially squeezes his forehead in his ocular cavity and crushes it. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty brutal. That's a good kill. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's creative. It's it's outland. Oh, so now our killer, he's 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 ready to go. Right, he's 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 ready to move in a day of just slashing it up. But we're not done with the ridiculousness here. So we move to nighttime, and Reggie the Reckless and Pam are gonna go visit. Reggie's Reggie's brother demon, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and you just think, you and talk about wacky character introductions. Yeah, <laughs> this guy who's got an on-site buffet in his Chevy van. What? Want an enchilada? In my, in my <laughs> I want a pouch enchilada. <laughs> I want to know what's going on here. I want to know because the grandfather is already very hesitant to let Reggie go visit his brother. I don't want you going messing with demon over there. Demon. I don't know what's going on with demon's life, but it's. He's doing okay, but also not great at the same time. I mean, he's eating van enchiladas, but his lady's pretty nice, right? I mean, he's doing, he's got jewelry, he's blinged out. Uh, And then we get this scene. Who's that? Ha, 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 ha. 
<laughs> You're gonna get it, bitch. Oh, lighten up, demon. You'll feel a lot better after you shit. <laughs> I feel a lot better when I'm out of here. This shit box is gross. Well, you better watch out for the snakes that's gonna crawl up that crapper and bite your ass. <laughs> Terrell and Marvin Gaye, they are not. Yeah. So these gas station enchiladas that he's been down in all night, they finally got into him. Them damn enchiladas. You don't say. And he, you don't want to... He's in these leather pants, and you, you don't want to have a mess in these pants. Dude, oh, just vacuum sealed. Like, it's just... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's got to go relieve himself. And then they do this call and response song. This is the second mm-hmm. instance in this film of, we got no money for a song. We need you guys to just make something up. I don't know if that's romantic or charming or uh, John Waters or or whatever, but then she's but, and kind of disgusting at the same kind time. Of really gross. It's a really gross outhouse. It's, it's, it's there's no again no toilet paper, mm. and uh, she gets killed outside, and then kind of I think in a pretty good suspenseful scene, this spear is being pierced through the outhouse, and he's trying to dodge it, and he's taking one in the knee. And then one in the chest. And I think that seems kind of pretty well put together. I agree. As ridiculous as everything around it is. I think the movie's tailored to be off-putting. Yeah. A lot of the characters have been introduced in very disgusting and gross ways. This is also pretty gross. From his chick in the van after they had just finished down in a chimichanga after he finishes his burrito or enchiladas. And then those come home to roost because they're probably three days old. The whole thing's just nasty. There's just no sanitary piece in anything in this film. Is this movie sleazy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's really sleazy. A That's sle- a perfect word for yeah, it. Is this a sleazy movie? Yeah. Between the nudity and just the we're shitting in the Friday the 13th movie, on the side order of that, on uh, over there, Junior shows up, heckles Tommy, and Tommy gives him the beatdown of all beatdowns. Oh, my right? God, yes. Uh Junior runs off crying on his little dirt bike, mm-hmm. and Tommy scampers off into the night, and we're not going to see him again for a real long time. Mm-hmm. And we're all we're, we're all over the place. Uh, uh, the killer goes to Junior's uh, farm, uh, beheads him, finally kills Ethel. So <laughs> you're waiting for it from the word go. Yeah. And then we go back to Pinehurst, and we got whittled down numbers now. Matt and the cook, Reggie's grandfather, they they went looking for. Probably Reggie. The people that haven't come back yet, right? No, because Reggie's with Pam. Yeah. So they're looking for the two that were having sex. Yeah. Can't find them. So stay here. It's starting to rain. It's starting to get a little gross. And then these people shackled down for movie night. And Matt, of all movies, we're going to put on 1985. We're going to pop on 1951s. In the a sun. place, George Stevens, a place in the sun. What? Are you kidding? Me? Isn't that weird? Okay, well, when you saw that come up, or what was what was your thought process? Uh, a, I'd rather be watching that movie. Yeah, a, yes. B, what? <laughs> no, 
what a strange acknowledgement from the director. I love to see what films directors show as films in their movies. Yeah. There is that's an, an informed this is there's an informed choice here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of informed choices in what he does in whole like we we kind of wrote him off earlier as this, well, he's a porno guy. There's some interesting choices in to use a place in the sun which has nothing to do with the film. Yeah. The the themes of that movie don't play with anything in this. Is it just simply an acknowledgement of a movie that really mattered to him? Because that movie has an element of sleaze in it as well. Mm-hmm. It's a little nasty. It's I mean, sh- it's it's a cleaner Americana version of sleaze, but yeah. Montgomery Clift is George Eastman in that film is the biggest fucker on the planet. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I was really taken aback when that showed up in this movie. I knew you were going to like something about that. I'm going to play the clip, but like, listen to the dialogue of the movie in the background. And then this guy, this poor soul, this poor stuttering man tries to shoot a shot with this girl. He picks this moment, but it's kind of doing a weird call and response with what's going on or maybe his aspirations. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Robin. <clears throat> We've been been here in nearly uh, eight months now, right? Uh-huh. That, that's a long time to get to know somebody, don't you think? Mm. Shh, Jake, please. And we could go anywhere we wanted. We could live in the biggest house in the world. Only I'd like to live in a little house. It's like, it's like he's telling her that. Just big enough for the two <laughs> There's going to be more than two of us, isn't there? I like you, Robin. A lot. I like you too, Jake. You do? A lot? What are you talking about, Jake? I want to be with you. I, 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 I really do want to be with you. I, I, I want to make love with you. you go here in a second but did we just stumble across in the middle of sleaze town where people are taking not wiping after shits uh we're calling people dildos did we stumble upon a maybe pretty great scene in this movie yes (laughs) the fact that he's having that conversation with her as the music from the a version of the same conversation is happening having in the happening in the boat in a place in the sun Mm -hmm. is genius yeah the roles have been reversed yeah we will do a place in the sun on this show Absolutely. someday. We've talked about yeah. it ad nauseum on and off mic. Yeah. But when Shelly Winters, Alice Tripp, is pitching George Eastman on the life that they're going to build together based on this the pregnancy that she has, isn't stuttering Tim mm-hmm. pitching plain Alice yeah. on a version of the same thing? 
Yeah. A, and to a, take, a life outside of Pinehurst. And to fit that into mm-hmm. the musical score that's in between the dialogue between Clift and Winters and that. Yeah. You hit it, dude. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the middle of a porn director making a slasher film yeah. showed up a significant moment of absolute genius now that I listen to it again. Yeah. At first I was like, that's really weird. Yeah. It's not weird. It's really smart. Yeah, it sounds... Did we... Is this, this just... Ha- in this batshit weird all over the place movie, <laughs> why not put a moment of, gr- of excellence in there like that too? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty well edited and, and, and directed and, and I think acted. I mean, we're, we're leaning into the stutter a lot and I think that's, you know, the unhealthy blow, but, you know, this guy's humility at the end of the day and that's kind of Shelly Winters' whole character throughout the thing. She never feels wanted in that film, right? In Lolita, doesn't she play the part of kind of an Ethel in Lolita too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, Jesse, wow, what happened right now? Mm-hmm. Hey, again, we did it, but I have to give that guy credit. That whatever that, I don't even remember this director's name. Danny Steinman. <laughs> Danny Steinman. Yeah. Good job, bud. Yeah, to that, I think, there you go. I'm glad we got to talk about it. And by the way, if this movie cues you into anything and it's not watching this movie, it's go watch A Place in the Sun. Absolutely, yeah. I, 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 I signed that endorsement. Mm-hmm. But this poor soul, he goes upstairs. Uh, the Violet's doing the robot upstairs, has no time for him. He takes a cleaver to the face. This woman, after the, she, she finishes out the movie. I love that. Turns it off. She goes upstairs, gets naked as we do in this movie. Strange choice to show naked in this one because this is not busty, buxom gal. This is yeah. from, the high plane, from the high plains, Janet. Exactly. And board-like. And they, they do try and soften her up a little bit. I mean, she's kind of doing a talk in the mirror and she's like why you got to be so mean all the time or like yeah. be smarter than that? Like that wasn't necessary. Well, you passed on a really good one right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Right. <laughs> Crawls into bed. I guess she didn't need to brush her teeth or whatever. Just going to get in naked tits out. And then bye. this guy's in the bed with her cleaver to the face. She, she gets the Kevin Bacon's uh, special uh, mm-hmm. underneath the bunk bed. Yeah. And we're, we're down to a slim pickings over here. So Pam comes back to the house. Reggie's there. And now we got the final girl, final little boy circuit, much like the last movie, right? Mm-hmm. And now this is when Jason finally makes his grand entrance. And I got to tell you, uh, Jason's really good at busting down these doors. This is a pretty good door bust down here. Yeah. We the, the film's done a good job of showing hands, legs, feet, implements. Yeah. We, get to, we haven't seen the mask yet. I thought this was a Friday the 13th movie. We finally get to see it, and then a significant difference, right? The blue streaks underneath the eyes, like you might... Uh, you see football players with the uh, blackout mm-hmm. underneath their eyes. This is almost like on the white hockey mask with blue stripes. Mm-hmm. Different mask, different Jason. Yeah. That's a fun piece of this film, too. Yeah, because uh, the, the visions Tommy's having in his dreams has red, right? The red at the forehead, right? With the with the, with the the axe slit, right? Mm-hmm. So that's consistent there. So it's like, oh my, who is this? What's going on here? And I got to tell you, Matt, you know, we do a lot of, we run through the woods and we find three or four more dead people along the way. Reggie's grandfather gets thrown through a window. He gets, he gets the rob from part three special. Like if there's an open window, don't stand by it because someone's coming through it. Yeah, yep. And I kind of like seeing a normal looking guy stocking and slashing, wearing the hockey mask, who's not all zombified and inhuman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, Reggie's about to take a tractor to his guts. <laughs> mm. And Tommy's about to reappear and he's about to stab him in the thigh, upper groin area. And Jason's struggling a little bit, right? He's limping, he's bleeding, he's oozing, and I think he looks pretty good in the jumpsuit with the mask with the bald head. Yeah. 
At this point, you have to think it's Tommy, right? With Tommy's prowess of making Halloween masks and latex galore, mm-hmm. that he would have some sort of weird Jason apparatus and access to a hockey mask that he finally just snapped and was like, I'm killing everyone. You know what? Right. I have a taste, and now everyone's going to pay because they made fun of me at this place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not. He kind of reemerges to kind of, I guess, face his demons. I'm okay with this too, right? It's just like, well, how about that scissor kick takedown that he throws too? <laughs> The thing, yeah, this movie, that they have this high-flying martial arts acrobat to play the role of don't speak a word, repressed, bottled up, possible killer Tommy Voorhees is so beyond the pale of what I thought I was going to get. I'm watching this thinking like, oh, Jason, you don't have a prayer, buddy. This guy is going to beat your ass and kind of does, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is he takes a pretty heavy blow himself before he kind of gets going or in the middle of the fight, which oh, is yeah. a cleaver cl- across his chest. Yeah, that would suck. <laughs> that would suck. Yeah, I honestly, mm-hmm. we've we've taken some shots. This last twenty five minutes, of this film is completely working. Yeah, it's it, really, really working. It's classic Friday the Thirteenth. It's you know the rain. They got the rain machines going. They got the the lightning going off. Or we have to talk about Pam though too. Do are we, we made a joke about it? Oh yeah. So whoever Pam is, which is maybe someone that this, oh Kinnaman, uh, yeah Pamela Kinnaman. She's got this white Melanie Kinnaman, yeah. Executive long sleeve shirt on, and because it's Friday the Thirteenth and it's rain and it's about breasts, and this movie is also about breasts. Mm-hmm. The director said, "You're not wearing a bra underneath that because I want you running in a wet t." And to her, God bless her. You know what I mean? Yeah, the she's sle- a talented woman. The sleaze factor, right? I, that sounds so sleazy for me to say it, but honestly, that's the movie, right? Go, man. Yeah. If you're gonna go, go. Keep going, right? And they didn't choose her for you know. Come on. Yeah. Like if you, what's Matt talking about? Watch this last bit here. Yeah. See. But yeah, you know, Reg, Reggie's fairly capable. He's running, and we get this, this these barn sh- barn shenanigans, and then finally we deal deal the killing blow to the killer. Uh, Tommy cuts his hand off. He falls out of the top story of the barn onto some weird farming implement. I don't know what you're farming with this spike bed, right? <laughs> he lands right on it, pierces himself, the mask flies off, and... Dun-dun-dun, killer revealed. You did a pretty good job kind of figuring out, I was like, was that the paramedic? Roy, the paramedic. Uh, I thought it was when they cut sure. to him early, like in the end of the first act, well, but whatever. Well, when, yeah, when they're looking at, yeah, when he's looking at Joey's chopped up body, the camera like pans on him and he like looks up and the music does it's like, okay, like, did that, like, what is that supposed to, that's significant, right? Do you like that he's the guy? Do you want it to be one of the other cadre of assholes that Jason's already done away with? We'll talk about it here with the final scene. I kind of wish it was Tommy. I I, I kind of wish that this was Tommy's, like, revenge tour of, mm-hmm. like, really testing, like, and, and if it's a new beginning, we're starting with the new killer, it should be Give me him. a new, yeah, it should be Tommy. It should be him. Um, Not Im- yet, right? Imposter Jason... Do I like it? Yes and no. Knowing that I think the reveal, and I'll play the clip here of, is this a good enough reasoning for you? He was a transvestite. (laughs) Martin Balsam enters this movie and tries to explain for five minutes on what just happened. The mother side took over. And it was the mother that did the kill. I, I, I hate and love that scene at the same time. Psycho for everybody. Mm -hmm. What are they talking about? Yeah, they, they should know. Uh, I like it, but I, I, I don't. But then I also don't want, I don't want 
regular Jason because we did away with him in the last one, yeah. and you didn't give me a good enough reason to bring him back other than his dream scenes. Mm-hmm. So this will have to do. I wish it was kind of wish it was someone else. Hey, but I got to give Roy some kudos. Yeah. 22 people he probably killed. It's I mean, an effective run as Jason, buddy. He, he had a spree killing that is, yeah, that, that belongs up there with, with Jason. But this is the reasoning behind it all. We found this on Roy. The kid who was axed to death at the woodpile was Roy's son. Where did he get that God photo of Joey? knows why Roy kept mm-hmm. it hidden all these years, but he did. Roy was a real loner. Never talked much. Not even to the other paramedics. I guess when he was called to the scene and he saw that it was his own Joey all hacked to pieces. We also found these. I guess he used the Jason thing to cover up with. So living in this same town, I think they renamed Crystal Lake Forest Green to get people away from it. Used the Jason myth to start his own spree killing as revenge for this loony halfway house for hacking up his orphan son that he wanted nothing to do with in the first place, but now he wants something to do with it. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Man, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? What do you think? Is this good enough? If, if you're sitting in the theater in 85 watching this, are you just like, uh, this is pretty weak, guys? What well, it's yin and yang. Yeah. No, this is weak. Because mm-hmm. it's a new beginning that's going to have another new beginning with number six. six. I don't know if we can talk about the ending of this and maybe the dissatisfaction unless we talk about the end, the very last scene in the film. Well, let's do it. Go ahead. Set it up. Okay, so everybody's been waylaid and we're down to Pam and Tommy Jarvis and Tommy Jarvis is still struggling with what's been set up well in these these flashback dream sequences of these terrifying moments regarding Jason, right? So we get another dream sequence with him being visited by Pam and he awakes and then stabs her in, I think, the intestines with the same machete as just out of a coma, intubated medical situation. Tommy's been, you know, uh, has moved to full Jason. Okay, snaps out of that, cold sweat again, breathes himself down, and then he's haunted by the image of Jason. That's uh, the red mask Jason with the slash on the left forehead. The one he killed, yeah. The one he killed, visiting him in the hotel room. And he he breathes himself out of that. Lazy ape breathing, right? Yeah. Breathes himself back to a uh, more cognizant state. To then have Pam visit him again in much the same manner we saw in the, in the dream. It's literally the same footage. She walks down, she enters... Same exact thing. Room's all broken, the the window, right? The difference is before she walks in, we hear the glass shatter, and she walks in and sees the glass laying in shards on the ground below her, and something's obviously jumped out the window, assuming it's Tommy. As she approaches the window, we see Tommy, who in the previous scene had taken the Jason hockey mask out of the dresser drawer in the cabinet that was by the bed and, and look at it. 
He now has that on and he walks up behind her, very psycho-like, knife raised, ready to do her in, fade to black. That buys off a little bit of the Roy as the paramedic bit because you're sort of like, well, that was a waste of time to sort of cheer for this Jason guy when it was just this fucking paramedic and that doesn't even matter. Yeah. That helps bail a little water for me. And I think it's where you want them to be. You And I think we all are like, Tommy's going to be Jason. It's coming. Yeah, I want them to go there. Yeah. How long can he fight it off for? And if he was close at the end of four, he's got to be there by the end of five because now he's had to kill another Jason and he's tormented even more and he's already on the edge, blah, 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 blah. Putting both those together, it takes what would be a D version of Jason for me and elevates it to a likely or possibility, at least intrigue-wise, but it is a little post-credits Marvel scene kind of also. Sure, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weak justification for me. Uh, I think it's a pretty cool final shot of him raising the knife with the blue. Again, I don't know where he got this hockey mask because the crime, the police should have, that's, you know, evidence now. Anyway, he's got it on, and when he raises that knife, it's like, okay, we're ready to go. He's he's killer now. He like he's fully snapped at this point. Let's see what this looks like. And I told, what did I tell you when I was taking the disc out? They walk this back hardcore mm-hmm. in the next one, mm-hmm. and I don't know what that is. It's it's not the first time we've done this in these horror films, which is we set up some evil entity and then we walk. It's like we're afraid to go there with these likable characters. But if anything, that gives them more pathos and a little bit more interest into why they're going dark in the first place. Um, I don't know if you saw the, the Scream 6 in New York City, but they're kind of doing that with the Scream series right now with one of the, the final girls in that film. And I know they're going to walk that shit back too, but like, mm. uh, it's all there. And I think that's interesting, unique territory to see where these characters break bad and if you can kind of bring them back to the light before it's too late. Yeah. And for whatever reason, we bail on every one of these right when it hits. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that with Halloween uh, uh, in in a couple weeks. But, yeah, that's Friday the 13th, uh, a new beginning. Let me... Uh, so, at this point, we're, Tommy's, Tommy's the guy. Yeah, I, leaving the theater, I was like, this guy's going to be killing. He's going to be slashing left and right. Mm-hmm. And I think he's pretty capable. Mm-hmm. He can add some kung fu to his regimen if he wants. Oh, yeah. Uh, most of the death scenes in this film had to be trimmed down due to the MPAA, which just came down hard on this thing. So a lot of them were off screen or cut away from, um, but they were okay with the nudity. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, like we're okay, we're we're okay with this. Um, do you do you get a, a bit of Halloween three season of the witch vibes from this film? Like an experiment in trying something a little bit different. I can see that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, like let's not do this, even though we're doing the same thing, but let's not do it the same way we've done it, right? Yeah. It's Let's try it with something else, a whodunit again. Yeah. Um, let me get the numbers for you on this. $2.2 million budget, $22 million gross. Hey, we're making money, man. Making money. It's, if, if you and I were running a studio and we're writing checks for $2 million, hey, go make a little Friday the 13th in the woods. Yeah, go sleaze it up. Yeah, just yeah, make it gross. Uh, add some debts in there. You don't have to reinvent the cinematic wheel with this thing. Just let's turn a profit. That way we can make some other horror films and some you know dramatic fare mm-hmm. come award season, right? Mm-hmm. And they go deliver two, and then we get 22 on the thing. Hey, dude, you and I are sitting on the Hawaiian beach, and we're we're, we're, we're drinking martinis, and we're, we're, we're counting the bucks, right? Yes. So we're pretty happy. Heck yeah, we are. 
So I can see why Paramount is still going back to the well. I mean, we're five in and just like next year, get another one out, right? That's right. It's it's a sick formula, but Hollywood's a money-making business. If you're not making money, you're in deep shit. Uh, and you, horror finds a way to just to, to do this, uh, right? Low budget, high return on the investment. There's a really distinct possibility that this film could have been pure rock cut. Mm. And of the five we've done, this isn't even the worst that we've seen so far. Yeah. There's a couple moments in this that are really notable. And if you're going for boobs and blood, this movie delivers. If you're the Friday the 13th fan who's looking for elaborate, complex story, I would argue you're not a Friday the 13th guy. You're not a slasher horror guy. Yeah. You know what you're getting in for. Yeah. It's a little schlocky. It's a little cheesy. It fits the mold of what this is. They turned $22 million on this. This financed half of a project of, you know, fine cinema. And if you can do one of these every year and bank 22 to $35 million, why wouldn't you do it? And the answer is we will. That's why we do seven more. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do a, a few more in, in about four, four more years, right? Yes, yes. So it's it's a cycle, right? It's it's exactly what Lionsgate did. And mm-hmm. I, I did go venture and I, I did go see uh, Saw X, Saw 10. And? I got to tell you, Matt, uh, they actually tried to make like a legitimate like movie for like the first half. Like, it's like, it was like Logan almost. Wow. It was like John Kramer trying to get like cancer treatments from this kind of like pharmaceutical company. The cinematography was like, it was like something out of like an indie drama. It was, it was remarkable. It's cool. And, and then it settled into like a Saw movie and it got nasty as hell, but it was still entertaining on high. You liked it. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Good. It was, it was definitely one of the better sequels since, you know, really early on, like to the first one. Wow. But... You know, Lionsgate did that in the in the two thousands. It was a saw every October. Mm-hmm. We're gonna make it for three. We're gonna make forty five to fifty, and then Paramount, same studio here, Paranormal Activity in 09. Man, we're churning one of those out every October. It's going toe to toe with Saw, and Paranormal's making like sixty to eighty million dollars, right? Killing, and they're making those for like nine hundred thousand yep. dollars, right? There's yep. like no actors, no uh, uh you know. Over, over intense, you know, camera techniques. It's all very simple, and man, we're we're churning profit like crazy. Yeah. So I love the genre. That's why I love what it has to offer. Uh, greed, I guess. <laughs> that was the answer. Yeah, maybe. greed and ambition, and you know, and a start for a lot of people that went on to great things in cinema early on too. Let's and, be frank, and let, and let's be real too. They're also mini cinematic universes in unto yeah. themselves, right? Good we're, point. we're all about Marvel, but like these franchises were like trying to piece together continuity way before any of that, right? Right, yes. Okay, so this week, a little bit different. Instead of your favorite tasty note scene, sequence, moment, it's Slasher Town. What was the best kill of Friday the 13th? A new beginning. Oh man, I think the the garden shears on the playmate's eyes. Mm. That was rough, man. Put them in there, stabbed them, and closed it. So there's... So it, it, it snapped this, right? From the nose to the outside of your eyes, just Ooh. a big slash. That's brutal, man. That worked for you, and it was mostly off screen, right? It did work for me. Well, I'll pick her counterpart's uh, belt around the tree trunk. That was a playground tell to me. Mm-hmm. My buddy, I can't remember what grade it was in, but he was just like, there's a, fr- there's a Friday the 13th film where this guy gets his head squeezed by a belt around a tree. And I was like, okay. And then like years later when I saw it, I was like, that was, what that, he was, was that was the one he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, there's a plethora here, but what is the... Oh, my God! Moment of a new beginning. 
axe to Joey's back. Yeah. I told him, I said, did that really just happen? That where the did that come from? Yeah. Because I kind of am with that guy. Like, this dude's annoying, and he's a slob, and he's a pig, and get rid of him. But I didn't think I'd kill him. But that wasn't going <laughs> to happen yet, and it sure did. It's a pretty good, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty good, oh, my God. Um, oh, my. And the, and the a, a true, oh, my God. Oh, that's a pretty good start. Man, I, anything to do with Ethel. And Ethel and Junior mm-hmm. is just like, is this happening in this movie? And you just kind of go with it. And it's like, yeah, it's happening. And it's it's absurd. But I, I love the absurdity at, at this late of a stage in it. So yeah, it's the one I'm going to go with. I thought you might go with the outhouse scene. Because I've, you know, I've been with my old lady for almost 30 years. Mm. And there's still some mystery in her relationship. And not a lot. Because 30 years, there's a lot of truth. Mm-hmm. But... The bathroom I still try to remain somewhat mysterious about. I can't imagine serenading your chick as you are dropping a quad because you've had some enchiladas that are not sitting well. I don't mean a deuce, I mean a quad. <laughs> but they seem to be okay with that. Yeah, they're they're real comfortable with their relationship. Guess her chi- his chick is down. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, maybe that should be my oh my god. That's that's pretty great. The demon outhouse scene. And Just, it's this kind of cinematic genius also. <laughs> that call and response bit that you mm-hmm. said. I don't know, man. Yeah. And then it just kind of dissipates in the background, right? Yeah. Who's the master distiller on Friday the 13th, part five? A new beginning. Uh, the Tommy Jarvis martial arts cat. I don't, his name doesn't. John Shepard. There you go, him. John Shepard. Did you look at his filmography at all? I, the, the one thing I know about him is that he became some sort of born again Christian later in life. So, like, I don't know, like, film wise, what he was doing or if he just completely wrote off. I mean, he's been in some of the interviews. Uh, but yeah, I think that's mm. that's him. Interesting. All right, I am going to give it this week to Carol Locatell. Mm. Ethel. She plays Ethel. It's just I can't believe that type of performance is in a movie like this. And like I said, they gave her an inch, she took a freaking mile and a half, went with it, did some crazy things, a lot of memorable lines, and it's just she doesn't feel like she belongs in this film, but I'm glad her presence is here and if that's all improv, kudos to her because some of that's impressive, right? It's mm-hmm. just off the cuff. Man, what a fucking ugly man, right? It's just like, yeah. you big dildo and just, she's like, I got a bomb on me. Like, how is that in the script? Like, that has to just, and I know the wig is hers. The wig was hers from another Burt Reynolds movie she was in. Brought it to this film and it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, it somehow works. It's the part I really, I really remember those two from this film. Mm. How are you going to rate and grade Friday the 13th, A New Beginning? We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Tippy Top Shelf. Okay, look, before we start this, there is a rating system inside our rating system that is particular to Slasher that would not be applicable to all film. Special rating system. Right? Because, I mean, if we're rating this against what would be normal Calls, Wells, that's bullshit. Like, yeah. the genre is unique. There's no money. There's very little talent. We're here for a good time. Okay, so this is as movie enjoyment, as movie enjoyment um, rating system as I can come up with. It's called. This is a very enjoyable, above average, I would watch it again if it was on TV, enjoyable run. Um, You said something before the film started that this is widely detested by a lot of the Friday the 13th crowd. I think that they're wrong on that. I don't consider myself of the three. I'd say I'm probably more in the Freddy crowd. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really enjoyable film with a couple genius moments in there. A couple really chagrin, terrible moments, but Mm -hmm. the shit like you brought up with the the two 
guys from Cruise and singing the rat a tat tat kind of geniusly cringe bad on purpose. Yeah. And in the hands of a director that we would otherwise dismiss, he found some magic, a couple mm-hmm. points. Call. Solid, solid call. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I think this is a good time with like a group of people, right? Put yes. on part five. Yes. Crack some drinks, make a drinking game out of it. Mm-hmm. Have some mm-hmm. fun. Like this is just kind of like a fun, mm-hmm. ridiculous watch. It's so different from the last film that really took things really seriously. Let's kill Jason. Let's have it be gross. Let's really try and be cinematic about a lot of things and atmosphere. Uh, this is all out the window. We're in Schlocktown, Sleaze territory. But that's what kind of makes it memorable, right? It's these wacky performances. It's these weird lines. It's these weird, I can't believe we did as much a, a, as much a bit on A Place in the Sun as I thought we were going to do. But, man, I think we found a nugget, a nugget of gold in this movie, right? Yeah. Uh, some un, 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 uh, unbridled genius there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think this is a lot of fun. I think last week I, I mentioned this might be the Friday the 13th film. I, I rewatched the most of the entire series. So it does have a special place for me. It's kind of single barrel for me, Matt. It's, wow. it's a weird rating for a kind of, I would say, a pretty rock gut, rock gutly made for the most part movie. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of not greatly acted, but like they find shreds in there. But the rewatch factor, I mean, I am not one of those people that says, what a wasted opportunity. I'm one of those people who says, what a weird, crazy experiment. And I like that. You know, when you do, when you, have these series, and that's why I like Halloween. Is Halloween's a freaking roller coaster ride of experiments, right? When you take those swings and misses, I'm gonna judge them more on their swing than the miss, right? Yeah. If you're taking the swing, I'm gonna give you props because you're at least trying something different, right? Mm-hmm. You're going there when everyone's saying no, do the same old shit all over again. Yeah. So, yeah, single barrel. It's it's got a, a special place in my heart. Obviously, you know, I got the. Rocking the shirt. <laughs> I got the stuff for it, but I could see people turn this on and be like, what a terrible movie. And hey, that's that's your cup of tea, right? Uh, but hey, uh, I'm going to introduce next week's film. But before we do, I'm going to play a little disco enchilada. Uh. And if you can see the video, it's an outhouse with a rocket uh, traveling around the earth. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) You know there's people out there that like this movie if they're putting the time in to do disco enchilada. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Demon, watch out. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Friday the 13th Part 5, a new beginning from 1985. Cranking out those films one a year. I can't believe it. But, hey, we're going to venture to Springwood, Ohio for next week's film. Uh, part five, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child. Hey, Matt. It's a boy! It's a boy! <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you prefaced it pretty well in, in the episode. We're in comedy town, you know, this, this far in. Freddy is as big an icon as you, who's someone in the ladies, as like, as like freaking the Terminator or the Predator, right? I mean, Freddy's the guy, mm-hmm. and he's yucking it up. The one-liner, he's on MTV, dude, the fat boys are doing videos. Like, it's, it's like, we're, he's reached pop culture icon. Yep. So, I don't have fond memories of part five, A Dream Child. I can't remember the last time you've seen it, but this should be an interesting venture back to, to this and see if we can find some more nuggets of gold in between what's most likely 
a bunch of crap. <laughs> One time for me as a late night rental when I was working at Hastings, mm-hmm. not even theatrically released. I don't know why I missed. I think I just saw Dream Child and said, yeah, fucking hard pass for me. Yeah. It's going to be interesting next week. It's one time through for me, so we'll see. I remember what we the, the cool thing about Dream Master last October was you and I were pretty high on the soundtrack of that film. It yeah. was kind of rocking, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll have that going for us this time, but we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what we got uh, waiting for us. Uh, it'll be a wacky adventure, but to that. To that. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, we got to get going. Hey, you want an enchilada to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in your white van? Yeah, <laughs> in my Chevy van. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And the levee was not going to be dry after you have this enchilada. Nope. We'll see. <laughs> oh, <laughs> We'll see you next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or if you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Friday the 13th, A New Beginning is property of Paramount Pictures, Georgetown Productions, Inc., and Terror, Inc., and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. What's wrong? Oh. Hey, you okay? Oh. Damn enchiladas! Oh. You gonna be alright? Oh. Oh.